Open your Bibles, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue through and realizing what the Apostle Paul is teaching and admonishing the church in regards to the foundation of Ephesians chapter uh, 1 through 3. And uh, I've mentioned this before, that the difficulty or the challenge of breaking chapter 4 down into smaller parts is oftentimes when you do that, you fail to see the big picture. But there's a big picture of God's people, His church. And in these smaller parts, we're using that to help us construct an understanding of exactly what God has planned. Now, if you're old enough, or if you've seen some of the television shows about old TV commercials, I wanted to, with everything within me, entitle this Parts Are Parts. But instead I entitled it There Are Parts. Because whenever you say Parts Are Parts, what do you think of? Nobody remembers the Wendy's TV, the old Wendy's TV commercial? Okay, then I'm not going to relive it for you because then you'll be thinking about that. But parts are parts, and there are parts. And in the church, God is building together, as the New Testament mentions more than once, this body. And it's a great analogy because just as your physical body is built of parts, so is the body of Christ. And there are parts. And as we go through Paul's revealing to the early church the way God has intended for these parts together, today we're going to look at some of the parts that the Apostle Paul mentions. He doesn't mention all of them. Again, we look at the broader scope of the New Testament to see and to understand the idea that each and every one who is a part of the church has a part within the church gifted by the Holy Spirit of God. But in these instructions and admonitions based upon the doctrine that is so clearly spelled out in chapters 1 through 3, we see now in chapter 4 both a positional as well as a practical place that we enter into as children of God. See, the practical deals with applying what God has done for us in Christ. So let me make it clear to you this morning. Your positional truth in Christ has been solidified for all of eternity. It cannot be undone. It cannot be changed. In chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle makes it clear that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. That position of being holy and blameless before an almighty, creator, sovereign, holy, and righteous God is only satisfied and solidified by being chosen in Christ. There's no other way. And the reason I drive that point home is because too often we get the positional and the practical backwards. The practical is the application of God calling us and choosing us and bringing us into His family, the church. But that's already done. Nothing we do on the practical side brings us into a better or more favorable relationship with God. That's only accomplished by what He's done for us in Christ. The fact that He chose us in Christ. What God has done in Christ is settled. But we stand holy and blameless before God in Christ. And as a result of that, 
God has not only validated and verified that within us, but now chooses to use us. Continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1 as the foundation, that though uh, those who have believed in Christ, in chapter 1 verse 13 says, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So all of that settled, sealed, God is satisfied by what's been done in Christ, and so you stand positionally before him, holy and blameless. The problem is, most of us know here and now, while we're sitting in this chair, in this room, boy, I don't feel holy and blameless. And maybe there is sin in your life that God's convicting you of that needs to be dealt with. And perhaps part of that sin is a not surrendering to what God has intended for you within His body. But as chapter 1 continues, the Apostles' prayer towards the end of chapter 1 is this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward those of us who believe. And it's through that power of the Holy Spirit that God then gifts us and uses us within His body. And that's what the Apostle Paul is praying as a result of what he has shared with us and our position before God in Christ. Paul is praying that their eyes, our eyes as we would take it, would be open that we might see and know what we have in Christ, where we stand in Christ, and all that God has for us in Christ. Maybe you've experienced that in your personal life. I have been using personal computers for a number of years. I'm still amazed when I find out what the computer can do that I didn't know it could do before now. But you know what? It was still already all there. I just didn't know. And as the Apostle Paul is laying out for the church now, all that God has for us is found in Christ. All of our standing before God is settled in Christ. Paul's prayer is that we would continue to know of Him and all uh, that He has for us by the power, His power, towards those of us who believe. One of my favorite encounters that's recorded in the Old Testament kind of gives evidence of this. You probably remember the prophet Elisha from the Old Testament. And the prophet Elisha was used by God in so many powerful ways in the Old Testament. But in 2 Kings chapter 6, we have an instance where Syria is warring against Israel. And the problem up to this point is Syria keeps getting defeated or running into roadblocks. And the Syrian king can't figure out why this puny little group of people is having this success. against. Why are they stopping us? How are they able to keep us from conquering them? Well, those of us who know God know why. And Elisha was used by God in a number of different ways, ministering among the Israelites and their leaders. In fact, that word got back to the Syrian king. 
The Syrian king called all of his counselors together and said, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. How can they keep us from doing what we want? And it was one of the king's counselors who said, you know, there's this man, Elijah, who speaks on behalf of their God, and he's the one who keeps hindering us. Well, the Syrian king said, okay, if that's true, let's just take out Elisha. And Elisha at that time, as some spies found out, was in the little village of Dothan. And so the Syrian army, the Syrian king, excuse me, literally sent armed on horseback the majority of his army to circle this city and wipe out Elisha. It's like, if that's the problem, let's just get rid of Elisha and we'll be victorious. Well, as they by stealth through the night surrounded the city, Elisha and one of his servants walked out of the city gates in the morning and saw this army, I mean, I mean horseback, cavalry, they had everybody there. And Elisha was unmoved. Elisha's servant went into panic mode. And Elisha prayed. There should be your first hint. <laughs> when it seems like the army's got you surrounded. We've got a week of prayer coming up beginning on that same Saturday the 13th for our Invite Your One. Folks, let me tell you, there is an enemy who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning, Jesus Christ said, that doesn't want people to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to begin and have an entire week of prayer devoted to that particular time when we've intended for people who do not know the gospel to be here and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we know, as we just mentioned, it's God that does the saving, but God chooses to use people. And so Elisha prayed that the eyes of his servant would be open. And the reason he prayed that is because Elisha's response was, oh, there's more of us than there is of them. You know, the servant outside of this little town quaking in his sandals, looking around as he sees this entire Syrian army surrounding this little village. And Elisha prays. And the servant's eyes were open. How many of you know the rest of the story? Yeah. They saw literally the legions of God. Not physically, but this servant saw what God had surrounding. And then Elisha prayed that the Syrian army would be blinded. And they were. And they literally were led away from the destruction that was intended. Folks, too many of us live that way in Christ. Too many of us live with this fear of what we can see when we know that a life of faith is not based on what we see. It's based on what God has already done. And with that, the admonition to walk worthy that the Apostle Paul begins chapter 4 with and then begins to expound upon is spelled out for the church. Folks, God knows we live in an ungodly world. God knows there's an enemy that prowls about seeking whom he may destroy. God knows all that. 
but all that's been settled for eternity before the foundation of the world. That's the God that we serve. And it's time for us to now see and know this picture of the conquering victorious warrior as we looked at last week in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, as the psalmist had spelled out in advance in his picture of God. And so God's people, the church, are the benefactors of Christ's victory. And the results are the gifts that God gives to those that are his. God gives gifts to people. And he gives them to us as Christians for the practical purposes of following and fulfilling what he has planned. Now, I want you to take special note as we read through these verses, that in verses 11 through 13, these are just talking about some of the roles, R-O-L-E-S. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Understand what the Apostle Paul is telling the church in light of what the Apostle Paul has prayed for the church. Going all the way back to chapter 1, where he not only told us we were chosen in God, we were chosen in Christ by God before the foundations of the world. But that in part of this, in part, these are just some of the parts. This is not to be the whole. God has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. And in 117, where the Apostle Paul prays that the Father, the God of our Lord and Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, would give to you, would give to us, a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Well, I want you to look back at those specific roles that were mentioned. And each and every one of those roles has to do with the word being proclaimed. Do you see it? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Yes, they are roles that are gifted within the church. But they are roles that all specifically have something to do with the proclamation of God's word. And the Apostle Paul had prayed in chapter 1, that we would know God. Let me tell you the best way to know God is to know His Word. You want to hear from God? Read His Word. You want to hear God's voice audibly? Read His Word out loud. That's God speaking. I'm not saying you're God, but when God's Word is read aloud, That is the Word of God going forth with all the fullness and authority of what God has done for us in Christ. And we're to know God, and not only know God, but God has put in place those who would help us to know God by proclaiming His Word. Those who would advance the kingdom of God by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those who would take a position, a role, of being involved with proclaiming God. 
You know, that's what Jesus Christ prayed in John chapter 17. He prayed for his disciples and the disciples that would come as a result of their word. And you know what he prayed for? All of them, us included, is that they would know God and the one whom he has sent. Folks, let me tell you, it's not only settled in Christ, but Christ is what our life needs to be centered around. As the Apostle Peter encouraged the early church to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These prayers of these leaders are so that we would know Christ. Now, specifically in our text, there are those in the church who are called to teach and to lead and to serve in this way. And those are just some of the parts. But those teachers, those leaders, those who are proclaiming are all built upon the O-N-E ones of verses 4 through 6. Look, verse, look back at verses 4 through 6 in Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, one spirit. You were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. That's the standard, that's the focus of these leaders who are proclaiming, who are evangelizing, who are teaching, who are shepherding and pastoring. All of this based on those ones. Thus the unity. We all have the same message. We all have the same Savior. We all have the same hope. We all have the same Lord. We all know God as our Father. And just as a note, if you study church history... Anytime you see a heresy, it's a quick departure from God's Word. All heresies are based upon someone who took some part of God's Word and tweaked it just enough to where it left the truth of God's Word. Thus, the heresy. Yet the calling for the entire church is what? It's to preserve or maintain the unity. What unity? The unity we have in our calling in Christ based upon the foundation of one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, one God who's the Father of all. See how all this ties together? That's why it's so difficult to separate Ephesians chapter 4 into these little pieces. So those whom the Holy Spirit has empowered to lead and to teach are to be held and guarded in that responsibility by those who are not. You say, well, I'm not a pastor, or I'm not a teacher, or I'm not an elder in the church. No, but it implies that you're just as responsible because it's the whole that's supposed to unify the whole and maintain the whole of the one Lord, the one faith, the one hope, the one calling, etc. And so it's crucial that we understand this. And here's the best part about it. We don't have to make up anything new. You know, it concerns me that there's too many Christians that are trying to come up with this new angle or this new approach or this new view. Folks, nothing needs to be made up. <laughs> it's all based upon what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And as we mentioned earlier, that we stay true to His Word. Otherwise, you see splinters and factions. And so the positional truth is ours in Christ. The practical truth 
is the unity that we have based on the positional truth in Christ. And that practical responsibility is one that's borne by the entire church. Yes, Paul is specifically pointing out leaders. But those leaders of the church are responsible not only to God Almighty, but responsible for the, to the church and for the church. And so this practical truth now is spelled out. And I want to make certain that you understand that all of this is based on verse 11. In accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not my opinion. It's not Scott's opinion or Rick's opinion or Daniel's opinion or the deacon's opinion. All of this is done for the purpose of the unity of the faith in regards to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And the reason you're not eliminated from this process, back up a few more verses in verse 7. To each one of us, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So even though the direct context is towards the leadership and spelling that out, you're not left out. (laughs) You can't say, since I'm not that, it doesn't apply to me. It's about each one of us. And it's interesting that in verse 7, Paul shifts the language from the second person plural to the first person plural, including himself. You know, it's a whole lot different when I say all of you are supposed to do something than when I say all of us are supposed to do something. That's a huge difference. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying as he switches to the us in verse 7. So what Christ is doing by giving his people, by giving his people abilities and callings to these offices has a very practical purpose. And that's what's spelled out in verse 12 and verse 13. Look at it. The equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. That's why there are those who are set apart, called out as those who would lead. And in their leading, remember we said all of those offices have to do with a proclamation of the word in some way. That in proclaiming the word, the proclamation of the word is what equips the saints. And I challenge you to be constantly spending time growing in God's Word. I once had someone say to me, Pastor, I enjoy your sermons. Yes, once somebody said that. (laughs) Pastor, I enjoy your sermons, and I can't wait till next Sunday because everything you say is what I need to carry me through the week. And I said, you're in trouble. You're in trouble if you're relying on my sermon to carry you until next Sunday. Now, I don't discount the work of God's Holy Spirit through the truth of His Word that's presented, but you've missed it. In fact, I went on to tell this fella. I said, well, try this. Eat today and don't eat again until next Sunday. See how your physical body does. I said, that's really the closest parallel I can give you. Because if you do that, maybe a day or two, some of us might be like that camel that can hold out a little bit longer. 
But before next Sunday, you're going to be hurting. You're going to be in trouble. So yes, there are those who are put in positions to teach and to lead and to proclaim the Word of God. But to each one of us, there's a responsibility. And that responsibility plays in here in the us so that the teaching and the proclaiming and your learning and growing as a result of being equipped by the Word of God is for the work of service. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. Because not everyone in this room is at the same place. And that's okay. But as we build, we all build and grow together. See, the emphasis is and always will be on the church. Because the other side of that extreme is people who still say, I don't need the church. Well, if you don't need the church, and that's your proclamation as a Christian, you don't know the New Testament. Because the New Testament is clear that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And here, it's really clear about different aspects of the church, where the church proclaims the Word of God, the saints are equipped for the work of service, and the body of Christ is being built up. See, the Apostle Paul's not singling out superstar pastors or teachers or somebody who can speak better than someone else. The idea is this is just a part of the roles that are being played among those who are within the church. In fact, he's giving specific directions to those who are called and gifted by Christ so that the church is continuing to be involved in the work of Christ and the call of Christ upon each one of us. I shared with our deacons this morning when we were talking about the invite your one. And it's so easy, it is so easy to get caught up in the busyness of our day. And before long, we're not inviting anyone to hear the gospel. Before too long, we're not even having conversations about God in our daily interactions. And before long, we've gotten so caught up with all that's taking place throughout our day that maybe we don't even pray for people to come to Christ. It's easy for all that to fall by the wayside in the midst of all that we face. But I trust that beyond the greatest thing that can happen, which is people coming and hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we who are the church will be reminded of our responsibility that we're to be about making disciples. We're to have those daily conversations with people. We're to be inviting them to come to where we know they will be, the word will be shared with them. We're to be praying for people. Oh, I challenge you, brothers and sisters. If you're not praying for someone to experience or encounter Christ, um, then I would say we're in disobedience to the building up of the body of Christ. And I can guarantee you this. As you learn God's word, as you pray for others, you will look for those opportunities to share Jesus Christ. There's an eternal seriousness about this call. Because anyone who knows the gospel wants others to know the gospel. And if you're someone sitting here today and you claim to know the gospel, and that's not anywhere near a priority in your life, I'm going to trust that God will convict you from this verse right here. 
that we're to be learning from his word so that we as the saints are doing the work of his service and the body of Christ is being built up. See, this idea of equipping is a word from the original language that literally means a preparation to make ready. That's literally what it means, a preparation to make ready. And it involves this idea of completion, restoration, or repair. I don't know about you, but there's things I experience in this world that just break me. (laughs) I need the repair of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to be reminded of the truth that Christ has already conquered. I need to be reminded that His joy is something I can have even in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties that I'm going through. And this idea of of repairing, even in the original language, extends to that idea of when a doctor would reset a broken bone. I'm not a medical person, don't have a medical background. But I have read, and I've actually heard it from medical people, that oftentimes when a bone is set back properly and it grows back together, that it's actually stronger at that point than it is at other points in the bone. See why we need to be constantly equipped under the Word of God so that we'll be stronger so that we will be prepared, so that we will be moving forward, doing the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, there's a checkpoint here, and I've mentioned it already, but I would challenge you to look at your own personal priorities and make certain that it's Christ who is number one, especially if you claim to be part of the church. Because the idea, as the passage goes on, is the idea of being, as uh, excuse me, in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is in verse 13. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of of Christ. Anyone there? I just thought I'd check. Probably more of us experience just the opposite of, man, I got a long way to go. I was telling someone just this morning, you know, you've heard that phrase, lifelong learner. Well, if God wants me to learn something, he's going to have to cause me to live a long time because I'm slow. And too many times we as Christians, we're really slow. We're kind of like Elisha's servant. We don't fully grasp all that God has around us. Those people you work with, those people you go to school with, those people in your neighborhood, it's no accident that you encounter them. And especially those people that you work with and go to school with, and are in your neighborhood that don't know Christ, it's no accident that you're in their midst and you do know Christ. And so, in the roles that the Apostle Paul is setting forth, he's setting forth these roles of pastor and teacher, of shepherd, of leaders, 
And the idea is that by the teaching and proclaiming of the Word of God, that the church is growing into this maturity to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Or how many of you know our world needs to see Christ? <laughs> Been paying attention to the news this past week? Our world needs to see Christ. But I don't care which side of the aisle you're on, Christ was not displayed in any way. So stop looking to our elected officials as being representative of Christ. Folks, we're to be growing to this fullness and this maturity in Christ. And as it gets darker and darker, it's going to be more and more opportunity for the light of Christ to shine. It's not going to happen outside the church. See, you're the church when you go to wherever you work or whenever you go to school or wherever you live. You're that part of the body that's on display being exhibited right there. And you are needed not only in the church, but as we go from this place having gathered as the church. See, that's the way the apostle begins chapter 4. He encourages the believers to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. That's the only way they're going to see Christ. And this walk is going to be bolstered, and we're going to become even more unified as we grow in our understanding by the proper teaching of the Word of the one faith, one baptism, one Lord, one hope, one God and Father. See how all that plays together? That's why it's so difficult to break Ephesians chapter 4 down into these little pieces. But all of this glorifies God and every believer. Remember, verse 7 says, each one of us have been given a gift. According to the measure of Christ's grace, every believer has this call upon their lives to be a part of this unified body that's growing to the measure of the stature in regards to the fullness of Christ. You know what's so incredible? 